Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello and welcome to this week's edition of Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. And today we're going to continue our series of programs on the workplace and your career, how best to earn a living by working as part of a team to contribute value to others, your customers, getting things done, getting along with colleagues, and having a really good time doing it. And it is possible. But let's face it, whatever uh, your current status, business owner, executive, middle manager, first-line supervisor, or individual contributor, every single day on the job will not be peaches and cream. So let me begin today's program with this question. How do you react when you're having truly a bad day at work? Do you moan, whine, frown, then share your frustration with co-workers? I know you're only human, and it may seem natural to trash talk and share bad experiences with your buddies at work and to make snide remarks about your boss or certain colleagues that you don't particularly get along with or care for, and in the short term, this may even make you feel better. But ask yourself, is this bad-mouthing, moaning, and complaining helping in any way to address the problems you perceive, get your work done, or better serve your customers? And my guest today, business leader, entrepreneur, and mentor, Bonnie sussman Versace, contends that complaining about work at work is precisely the wrong thing to do. She says every time you complain, tell a negative story, or spread a vicious rumor, you only reinforce your own negative emotions, emotions and those of your colleagues as well, which only makes the matter worse. And fortunately, Bonnie uh, sussman Versace is here to suggest a better way how you and I can contribute to creation, celebration, and sharing of positive experiences at work. And she's also here to advise on how a positive workplace atmosphere can help make your customers feel a lot better about doing business with you. And Bonnie sussman Versace hmm. has 30-plus years as a successful business leader, owner, entrepreneur, and mentor, she's founder and operating principal of Focused LLC that works with businesses to help develop leaders, enhance corporate cultures, and improve customer service. And she previously was founder and president of a highly successful commercial design and furnishing company where 83% of its business came from return customers. Boy, that's a great uh, return rate, isn't it? And she's author of a highly unique, widely acclaimed 2016 book, Recipes for Thoughtful Leadership and Healthy Culture. And hello, Bonnie sussman Versace, and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Thank you, Roy. It's a pleasure being with you today. Well, if we might, I'd like to begin with a negative. Let's say our business sells <laughs> a really great product or service, but we have a foul-smelling, as you call it, uh, atm- workplace atmosphere, poor communication up and down, continual gossiping and complaining, 
we-versus-them mentality and maybe even interdepartmental warfare, which I've seen before. Does it really matter to customers that our employees lack positive attitudes and uh, simply don't get along? Absolutely. They they can not only see it and hear it and feel it, but they can smell it. When they walk in your door, <laughs> if you have an environment that is um, not pleasant, not inviting, and people are up in arms or um, not on their best behavior or not feeling positive about being there, um, people... People are emotional beings, and we carry that stuff on our sleeve. It's yeah, very obvious. Yeah, and nobody can, uh, can click it on and off. I can't be really mad and, uh, and complaining and down at, uh, on a coworker, and then suddenly a customer walks in, and I'm all smiles. And <laughs> well, you can do it, but is it light. genuine, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it It's be hard very, to be genuine, right? Yeah, very hard. Make the switch happen so quickly. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I'll never forget years ago yeah. at... Uh, I think it was at Disneyland or Disney World or one of these. The, uh, we went on this boat ride around some ride, and uh, you could tell that the operator of the boat was really ticked off at management because he didn't get his uh, lunch break or whatever. And <laughs> it just, oh, that's it was, a big one. Especially at Disneyland where everyone's supposed to be happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not the right environment to have a frown, huh? <laughs> no, that's, but, uh, no, I, I'm not knocking uh, Disney World and Disneyland are great places. It's just this one individual didn't seem to be uh, too happy that day. Well, uh, yeah. you've been mentoring businesses for a long time. Can you give us one or two examples of companies where negative employee attitudes and a culture of complaining had a significant adverse impact on the bottom line? Uh, absolutely. And it can take one person to bring a company to its knees. Oh, wow. It's it's that significant when uh when you have somebody on board that is really either not wanting to be there is a drama king or queen. <laughs> uh, that, <laughs> yeah, that uh that that clearly doesn't want to be part of the team yeah. or needs the attention. That's the other side of it too. Sometimes Oh, yeah. Sometimes you find people that need the the negative attention. They thrive on it, and they'll pull anybody into the story that that they can get a listening ear for, and it <laughs> makes it very damage. It, it can damage a company's reputation. It can damage relationships. And if you're, we're all consumers. First yeah. off, we're all consumers. Everybody buys something from someone or yeah. somewhere, and. You know how you feel if you walk into a place. And uh, my favorite, though, is um, going to a location that publishes their hours on the Internet, in oh. the phone book or wherever. Oh, yeah. And they say, we're open from 9 to 5. Yeah. And you get there at 11 minutes before 5, and yeah. they're already packing up. Oh, yeah, I've been kind of a situation. I went to a, we went to look one time at a house where the, uh, it was almost, I think the open house was like 12 to 3 or something. It was about five minutes till 3, and it was so obvious that the realtor sitting in there wanted to get out and really didn't give a yeah. hoot whether we saw the house or not. 
That doesn't make you feel very good, does no, it? No, we it's didn't buy that house, believe me. Not very welcoming. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so in there, your there, books, uh, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say in your book's uh, Amazon preview, you tell us that leadership is a mindset, not a formal position title. And we want to uh, talk a little about advice for uh, listeners who um, may never be addressed as boss uh, formally, but... Uh, what are the characteristics that define the mindset of an effective leader and, uh, you know, something that we, whatever our current position in the uh, firm, we can uh Well, take, take, it a step, take it a step further than that. If you, if you take, take the four words, lead, leader, leading, and leadership, what would you say is the most important word out of that list? <laughs> you got me. I right? Think. Leadership. Would be leadership. Yep. So it, it's not really about the position or the title or the tenure or the age of the individual. Yeah. It's it's really about expressing the leadership skills. So what are some of those traits? Uh, being true to oneself. Yeah. Um, sure. Being true. Being true to others. Yeah. Owning up to mistakes. If you. You know, we all make mistakes. Everybody, everybody makes mistakes. I don't care how perfect someone feels they are, but you know, somewhere along the line, but own up to it, right? Yeah, of um, course. Helping to develop others. Yeah, it oh, really that's becomes so, that's so much of a part of being a leadership and not trying to hog all the credit for yourself. Correct. It's definitely not. Correct. Yeah, and and it's if you think of it in terms of if you learn something. Let's say you're in a leadership position. If you're learning something, who are you going to teach it to? Yeah. Who are you going to turn around and teach it to? Each Transfer one, the each information. One the old saying goes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, so, let's, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead this time. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, being being a leader in an organization is such a critical role, but yeah. There can be many lead. There's there's only going to be one person leading the charge, but there's going to be other people that can take the leadership role and advance and help others to advance. Positive mood leadership is such a key. Correct. Yeah. And any member can uh, display that by uh, by how they react and talk to the fellow workers and inspire them. Let's assume for a moment that you go to work every day as a capable team member, but you currently do not supervise anyone else. And throughout mm-hmm. the day, you have to listen to these toxic co-workers complaining that their workload is overwhelming, the boss has it in for them, the company is headed in the wrong direction, whatever, whatever. As a non-supervisor, is there anything you can do to lighten up the atmosphere and encourage cooperation to get things done? How do you... Uh, get to these negative naysayers and uh, hopefully turn them around or at least don't let them affect your attitude? Sometimes it's as simple as asking a question like, if you have someone that you're dealing with that's negative, yeah. how might we do things differently to change this situation to produce a better outcome? Yeah, instead of just complaining about it. What do you suggest we do? But but if you say how might we rather than how could you, you know, how could you, you're you're not 
you're not putting the onus just on that person. No, you're saying, you're hey, we're a team. How might we? That's yeah. the other part. We're that's a team. So How can we work together? Yeah, that's so great. Yeah. Yeah, well, so you're really flipping the situation around and helping them to see that maybe there's some personal accountability there that they need to uh, take possession of. And it's so crucial that you don't second the negative emotions that they're expressing because it's so easy right. to get into that. <laughs> Don't carry it forward, yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, for the next few moments, let's speak to listeners presently in a leadership role, be it small business owners, company executives, department managers, or even frontline supervisors. In an article on your website, you point out that collective culture can make or break any enterprise by driving or diminishing performance at every level, and you emphasize the need to positively tune up your organization's culture and that sounds great, but as a leader, where do you begin? And in general, what nature of culture should we strive for, and ideally what role should we seek to play? Well, I think, it, you know, it becomes, the culture becomes everyone's responsibility. Yeah, that's true. If, if we say it's just the, the response, I'm, I'm taking your questions backwards. If, yeah. if you take it, if you take it, and say, all right, well, it starts from the top. It starts from the leader. Yes, it does. But the leader puts the puts the culture concept together. They bring the culture yeah. into the business the day they open the door for business. Yeah. And once you once you hire employees, they're also bringing their culture. So yeah. how do we all get on the same page? Because our understanding as different human beings that have grown up in different places and we've been educated in different places, our understanding of of words, of concepts, of how we do things is going to be different. Even if we are in the same industry, it still could be different because it's, you know, we might have come from a different company and guess what? They did things a little differently over there. Yeah, or a lot differently. (laughs) Or a lot differently. So how do you get on the same page um, that that really winds up being up to the leader of the company to say, okay, this is what my expectation. Here's the vision. Yeah. Here's my vision for the company. Yeah. Here's our mission statement, which is really how we're going to get there. Yeah. Here are our core core values. Develop the core values, and through that type of work, you're really starting to hone in on on a, a culture that every member of the team can be more accepting of. Yes. So when people participate in those activities, you know, if you get your employees to participate in the activities, then they're they're going to be more, they're going to feel more a part of it, and it'll be a lot easier for them to adopt. Yeah, I loved on your website how you talk about leaders should act like the maestro of an orchestra. That, yeah. Uh, you know, everyone's skilled. You, uh, we assume everyone you've hired or or it's trained or skilled to be uh, play that instrument well, and you have to bring them all together and uh, as a team, and uh, so that you please the audience, which is the customer, <laughs> with yep. really pretty music. <laughs> yeah, think about um, think about Leonard Bernstein. Yeah. Um, you know, he he was he was well known for uh, directing. Um, being the maestro for for different uh, orchestras and yes. and musical groups, but 
a lot of times he didn't use the stick. He used his facial expressions. <laughs> and people were able to follow him because they understood. They were they were part of the culture that he brought. You know, they understood the culture he brought in, and um, they they were able to adopt it. Yeah, that's that's great. Well, anyone like me who has worked in a collective enterprise, large or small, is all too familiar with workplace drama. Uh, you mentioned the drama kings and queens within your mm-hmm. enterprise and how they can bring down the entire operation. Well, mm-hmm. if so, as a leader, what must you do to uh, decisively curb this drama in your workplace? Say the guys or the gal is a real good contributor in other ways, but... Uh, She's in planning, uh, you know, this negative drama on, on the co-workers. Uh, what do you do in a case like that? I think uh, first, you're, well, not think, but first you really need to find out what's causing the drama. Yeah, is that's it, very true. It, is, there something, is there something valid going on? Is there a real issue that's going on that maybe they just don't know how to express themselves any better than yeah. what they're doing? Yeah. And... That's really the first order of business. You know, what what is that? It may even be a personal issue away from work, too. And, of course, we can't get too much into uh, prying into our employees' personal lives. But on the other hand, you need to understand if if there's something that's really bothering them that uh, is impacting their performance. uh, And it may also be be a a physical or mental issue. I mean, you, you really don't know. There's... Um, there's so much that we're dealing with uh, now or that we're more aware of from a health perspective, e- even yes. even things like head trauma. Yeah. You don't know how those things will impact people, and guess what? They are in the workplace. Yeah, that's and, true. And you have, and you have to, you, you, you really have to be able to almost be a mind reader, if you will, and try and understand a little bit more about what's causing the drama. Yeah. And it, and if it is if it isn't something that's valid if it's just part of the person's personality, yeah. um, I I usually recommend at least try and work with the person a little bit. Maybe they need some coaching, or some mentoring, some training. And if you try that for a little bit and it doesn't really go anywhere, then you need to move them off your payroll and. Have them enjoy working somewhere else. <laughs> Send them over to your competitor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's so true. But um, you may hate to give up on a really high-producing uh, individual, but if they're really souring the atmosphere around the workplace, you can't can't keep with them too long. If, uh, no. You know, you give them every no. chance to to change, but then uh, it's you have very to take... hard to grow. Yeah, it's very hard. You know, when when a, a business owner says, "I want to grow my company," first of all, yeah. your your company is a piece of paper. Yeah, it's the people. It's the people that have to grow. Amen. But if you're if you're working on growing the people, and you have someone there that is a naysayer or yeah. negative Nelly or whatever, you, however you refer to them, and maybe their technical skills are superb. Yeah. Um, but it, but if they aren't aligned with core values and culture, yeah, you, you really you really want to take a second look and make sure that they're not destroying your company. And I, as I like uh, how you point out that um, the remaining employees that uh, have dealt with this difficult individual really respect you as a leader if you 
finally do take decisive action and uh, if if you need be remove the person or transfer them to a non role maybe absolutely give them a coke and sit them in an office somewhere where they don't interact with other people absolutely yeah yeah I mean, so and we've all done that anybody that's sat in the leader's seat not all but most of us have left some people on board too long yeah. and when we do release them from employment how many times do other employees say, "What took you so long?" Yeah, or, that's exactly right. So glad you did. I've had I've had clients. I I, ha, I personally had someone that I left on board way too long, and mm. uh, had clients tell me, "You know, <laughs> I really like this person. They were great to work with for us, but, but <laughs> you probably needed to do this." You know, years ago. Yeah, if your <laughs> yeah. customers are telling you that, you probably most certainly have kept them around too long. Too long. Yeah, let's talk overstayed. Bri- yeah. Let's talk briefly about your uh, unique book, Recipes for Thoughtful Leadership and Healthy Culture. Why is your book very different from every other book on leadership that our listeners will find on the Internet or in their favorite bookstore? The recipes for leadership and culture are straightforward to the point there's seven or eight hundred words uh easy to read um very what very i found quick. really unique is you have some actual food recipes in your book don't you? and that too yes <laughs> yeah. you read it, it in the kitchen so you can <laughs> yep yep it doesn't matter where you read the book the kitchen the office um yeah and, and the funny thing is as people have been purchasing the book I'll get emails every so often or a phone call, and I've had several folks that have said, yeah, we actually took food recipes and (laughs) we used them with our less tenured supervisors Mm -hmm. and managers as team-building exercises, and it really helped them to open up. That's great. that, That wasn't my idea with putting them in there. I just thought, well, you know, people like to eat and they like to read, and you know, maybe it's an opportunity to forge two grounds, two grounds and bring them together. Well, who's but, your uh, book primarily written for? Is it mostly for new leaders, or will long-term experienced managers and executives also benefit? It's it really it really addresses both. It it really addresses. There's something in there for both. And it really is comprised of a bunch of uh, articles, I guess, you'd written for a magazine in the area, and you put them yes. all together into this. Uh, and what I love about it, I guess you use a number of specific examples and uh, actual experiences. Uh, storytelling is such, it's such a great way to get a message across, I think. Yeah, and and unfortunately, that's a dying art. Um, yes, it is. And it's one of the things I I actually do try and help my clients with is, Learning how to tell stories, yeah, because they're important. They're important to pass the messages on. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, where best should listeners go to preview and purchase your book, Recipes for Thoughtful Leadership and Healthy Culture? Thank you, Roy. They're available on our website, which is focusedllc.net. Um, that's that's one place. There. They're also available on PayPal, uh, on PayPal, on um, Amazon. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there is a bookstore. It's a small bookstore in um, in my area called Firefly. 
Um, and also the Double Tree by Hilton Redding carries it in their carries the book in their um, their convenience area. Oh well, I, I know Redding's a lovely town, but I don't think most people will want to travel all the way there. Probably to get it. So not. Probably yeah. So Amazon go to and the Amazon website. For it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I noticed that uh, your firm, uh, Focused LLC, offers a number of inter- very interesting services like a boot camp for business owners, uh, mm-hmm. your ACT formula for learning and development, focused business forums, and specialized support. Uh, you gave us a web address uh, again. Give us that again and uh, where people can sure. go to find out more about it. Yep, it's it's just focusedllc.net. Yeah, that's a simple enough. Well, to conclude, yeah. before I became a small business entrepreneur, I spent 20 years in corporate America. And let me assure you, I had my fill of compulsive complainers, coworkers who made it very difficult to maintain a positive attitude. And there's nothing like somebody that comes around and starts complaining to ruin your day. Unfortunately, I must admit, I at times was not just a listener, but also an active, unhappy participant of doom and gloom. And uh, in one particular instance, I was a region uh, operation analysis manager for an insurance company. I, I loved my position. And then suddenly rumors started of reorganization, forced relocation, and decrease in responsibility. And my attitude changed 180 degrees. And we used to sit around at lunch every day and a couple of cocktails and complain about what's was going to happen, and uh, <laughs> so I know what it's like to, uh, mm-hmm. and it all was caused really by a failure of the company's management to keep us informed of what was going on, and uh, as my attitude toward work went sour, I'm certain my productivity plunged along with it, and mm-hmm. most of this turmoil could have been avoided if the company had been uh, had moved faster and been less destructive for so long. Uh, whether you're presently a leader of your organization or aspire to be one, I highly recommend you preview and purchase Bonnie Sussman Versace's book. And uh, as a Amazon critic commented, there are lots of books on leadership, but few catch and keep our attention, like Recipes for Thoughtful Leadership and Healthy Culture. And also check out all the services that uh, her firm, Focused LLC, provide. And thank you so much, Bonnie, for your most inspiring comments. My pleasure, Roy. It was great being with you this afternoon. On a prior program, we talked about common excuses folks like you and me make when we fail to seize an opportunity for positive change, whether uh, it's a new opportunity or just changing our outlook on life. And before we go, I'd like to add a few more of these common excuses and tell you why I don't think any of them are worth a darn. Here's one excuse. I don't have the money. Contrary to the common lament, I simply don't have the financial resources to change things. One need not be wealthy, inherit a bunch of money from grandpa or uh, anything like that to radically improve our personal emotions or circumstances. It's really up to us, isn't it? As a first step, please confirm to yourself that your ultimate objective is not simply to become wealthy, but it's total fulfillment as a balanced, well-rounded adult. You know, a lot of wealthy people are miserable. They're always seeking more. In our middle years, most of us assume five essential roles that aren't directly related to wealth or earning a living. Grandparent, parent or grandparent, if we're old enough, spouse, caring friend, volunteer, and child of God. 
Are you neglecting or underperforming one or more of these roles at the expense of your career or uh, earning a bunch of money? Now, I'm not saying that we, we all need to be in financial balance. We need to have as much money as it takes to live comfortably and to enjoy our lives, but we don't have to be rich to have a good time, do we? And before confronting vocational choice, I urge you to contemplate the distinction between yourself as a contributing member of the human race, a human being, in other words, who cares, and a simple provider. Unless you learn to balance career with the five other essential elements of daily living, you most likely will continue to come up short on joy, satisfaction, and in your relationship to others as you're serving them. One fact is certain, a thorough examination of every aspect of your present life experience will require more than a few hours of casual attention. And I suggest you begin to view even the most mundane work-related task as a small opportunity to progress toward your ultimate life objectives. Find out what your priorities in life, first of all, are, and then treat every little assignment, everything you do, as a step toward reaching those priorities. And as soon as your routine outlook on life begins to improve, daily work tasks will start to become easier, and before long you'll find yourself better organizing your workday and your uh, balance between work, leisure, and family time, and you'll uh, be accomplishing more in less time. And as a positive corollary, for the first time in years, you may rediscover the simple joys of a relaxed evening on the porch or a weekend with your friends and family. Here's another good excuse. What good would renewal do me anyway? The folks around me are negative. Uh, my family members are complaining all the time. Uh, most experts agree that it's very difficult to renew alone, <laughs> certainly not in isolation. It's even more difficult for those routinely exposed to negative commentary, uh, either from your spouse, family members, or those people at work, maybe your boss or your coworkers. But here's some good news. One person's transformation, in other words, your transformation, frequently encourages the subsequent uh, renewal of loved ones, close friends, and work associates. And there's three logical reasons for this. First, once you better understand your own motivation, you can relate to and accommodate the motives of others. You'll understand why they're upset, uh, just as you understand uh, when and why you're upset, and that uh, leads to better accommodation to others when you understand their problem and uh, understand their side of the uh, argument, for instance. The second reason is it takes two to tango. We all know that. No one will argue with you for long if you refuse to argue back. A chronic complainer or a gossip requires a receptive audience. We all know that. It's no fun to gossip if the other person doesn't add some dirt into the pile. And even the most caustic critic does not want to be the only negative person in a room. And as a renewed person, you simply can refuse to second any neg negative comment or to engage in the mean-spirited criticism or making fun of others. And here's the third reason. We all know this. Frequent smiles, sincere attention to others, and a favorable mental outlook all are highly contagious. And when a positive individual comes into the room, sooner or later everyone seems to be smiling and laughing. And here's the bad news. Unfortunately, a few uh, negative friends or maybe even loved ones won't change their ways. In truth, they may not be able to. 
inevitably, you may need, uh, in some cases, to terminate a uh, caustic relationship or a highly unfortunate one. And I urge you to make any irreversible relationship decisions only after you have tried your hardest to turn that other person around. And I certainly am not advocating you divorce your spouse because they're too negative. Uh, it, it'll work out if, if you're positive all the time. And here's another excuse. And uh, this sounds good on the surface, but when you think about it, it really doesn't work. God will change me if it's God's will. Now, I personally believe in a God whose essence is perfect love, peace, understanding, balance, and harmony. But I, I also believe in a God who desires that every human being, including you and me, every human being on this planet, find peace, balance, love, harmony, and fulfillment in his or her personal life. How about you? Although you, um, I trust you'll choose to affirm your faith in a supreme being, I strongly encourage you to take an active role in orchestrating personal renewal. Consult with God through prayer, if that's your belief, and listen for God's will. Venture forward with God, but please don't sit back and wait for God to do all the work. It's like that old joke about the person who kept praying to God that uh, they'd win the lottery, and uh, the answer came in a single sentence, buy a ticket. <laughs> no, you've got to help out. Uh, and although I greatly admire, even to some extent envy, individuals whose unbending faith permits them to place themselves totally in God's hands, I cannot imagine that the Supreme Being wants any of us to sit around idly, waiting for circumstances to improve. I firmly believe that God will help instill a positive attitude within every man and woman who diligently seeks peace within and prays to God for that, and each one of us has been created in God's image with an inherent capacity to succeed, and God has granted every single one of us, young and old, internal resources almost beyond imagination, and your challenge with God's help is to tap more effectively into your unbounded resources and then respond to the positive opportunities that God or whoever sends your way. Consult with God through prayer, then move positively forward on your own. And finally, the excuse I consider the most destructive of all, it's the old if only. I would, I would change things if only. That's an excuse as a cousin to the one we discussed last week. I will renew when. But if only is even more counterproductive because when at least leaves open the remote possibility that renewal might someday occur. In contrast, if only bitterly laments a past mistake, fate, or a long-ago misfortune and implies that the opportunity to change or to try something new somehow has been lost forever. You undoubtedly have heard one or more of the following excuses from a cherished friend or loved one, and maybe you've made them yourself. If only I had finished my education. If only I were younger. If only I were more computer literate. If only I were more intelligent. If only I weren't so shy and didn't feel so intimidated around other people. Or if only my job or my career wasn't so demanding of my time. You know, when you think about it, the if-only excuse is pure and, purely and simply a rationalization for doing nothing. In the extreme, it is a certain formula for exiting the world at journeys end miserable and unfulfilled, and all the time up to that exit, too, which is even worse. 
As one grows older, the possibility of overcoming an unfortunate circumstance becomes even more remote unless we rebel against that, if only excuse, and if at old age, if only frequently converts to the mournful refrain, I could have been. Don't let that happen to you. In truth, the if only excuse and its close relative, I'm not good enough, reflect deep down unwarranted personal impressions of unworthiness. And these impressions may have been implanted in our subconscious minds when we were small children. And once again, I ask you to trust me. Your subconscious fear of success can be overcome. It sure did, uh, was for me. And at least for now, put aside every one of your if-only reservations and get on with an examination of every opportunity that comes your way. Without question, you are an individual completely worthy of success and personal fulfillment in your life. And I can assure you that you possess within untapped talents and capabilities almost beyond your imagination. Well, at middle age, I strongly urge you to take time out from your uh, for reflection and seek uh, counseling if it's needed. Imagine the life you want, visualize it as you move forward, and then be open to every opportunity that comes your way and be willing to get off the uh, porch and try that opportunity, examine it, and uh, take the one, those opportunities that come your way uh, that make sense, not every foolish pie-in-the-sky opportunity, but everyone that uh, makes some sense, and you won't regret it. And for a complete roadmap of um, personal middle-age renewal, including a whole bunch of exercises, uh, a journey from here to there to where you are today to where you really want to be after you decide where that is, I uh, urge you to uh, preview my book, A Midlife Challenge Wake Up by Roy C. Richards, and you'll find that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or on our website, middleagerenewal.com. And that's our program to, for today. Thanks so much for listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 